Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. Roto-World Josh Norris here with another episode of this, the Roto-World Football Podcast. Even though the holidays are over, the fantasy season is over, we'll see here. We're still working. Actually, an important week, obviously, for teams trying to make the playoffs, and that's what we will be discussing today. John Daigle, who I would approximate is around 672 miles away from me right now. You actually hear him. Sounds like he's in a cave. Don't ask. Just builds the character of John Daigle. Uh, Join me for this episode. Start off with the NFC, then go on to the AFC, talk through scenarios, do a few game previews, players we players we are excited to see on the field, maybe one last time this season. Don't worry, we'll be back to a somewhat regular schedule next week. We'll have an episode on Tuesday, then we will have an episode on Thursday. Tuesday, little end of season wrap up, and then first round of the playoffs preview on Thursday. And we'll kind of keep that similar schedule throughout the playoffs and into the Super Bowl. All right, let's preview. Maybe the most interesting scenario is the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Dallas Cowboys. Now, these two teams are not playing, but one of these teams is going to win the NFC East. We know that the Eagles did play uh, and beat the Cowboys last weekend. And then this weekend, it's a win and end scenario for them against the New York Giants. We know the Eagles are four and a half point road favorites here with a total of 45 and a half. Dago, I was in the Slack chat last Sunday talking about just how ugly Philly was, how ugly Dallas was in terms of their teams on the field, yet the Eagles know how to win that way and the Cowboys do not. Do you think that this is just going to be another ugly victory for the Eagles this weekend? I'm glad we started with the Eagles because they deserved our attention over whatever the hell the Cowboys are doing right now. Uh, You know, we would think it'd be guaranteed for the Eagles to walk over the Giants, but I think we've seen enough from Daniel Jones to where we can say, yes, he makes numerous boneheaded decisions and plays and absolutely has a fumbling issue. But at the same time, he's shown a ceiling, right? He's gone over 300 yards and four of his 12 starts. And this is an Eagles secondary that should have been burned, which we'll talk on in a second, last week against the Cowboys. So it's not really a tough matchup. So I wouldn't say it's guaranteed at all for the Eagles to win this matchup. No, not at all. In fact, especially with how Daniel Jones and the Giants played last weekend. I talked about it with this Eagles team. We've talked about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. because This is just who they are. I mean, it's Zach Ertz, it's Dallas Goddard, it's Miles Sanders, and it's Greg Ward. And it's Carson Wentz. You hope he can make 
difficult plays either outside of structure or tight window throws. And he's really being asked to carry this team that lacks premier talent, which is something shocking again, heading into week one that we thought that this was the best, one of the best rosters in the NFL. And Carson Wentz has had to throw 40 more pass attempts in six straight games. I'm sure if Doug Peterson and company sat down, that's not how they would want to draw up this team, but it's how they are having to be each and every Sunday. It's all of those players potentially minus Zach Ertz now, who's dealing with a ribs injury, and his status sounds like it is truly up in the air. Uh, this season, we know Zach Ertz's impact has averaged 8.9 targets per game. And last week, without Ertz, with Ertz leaving the game, I should say, that allowed Dallas Goddard to play a season high 90% of their snaps. So they're going to lean on him heavily even with Jordan Howard coming back because Peterson came out and said, this is still Sanders and Boston Scott's show, even in getting Jordan Howard back. But it's going to be a helping of Dallas Goddard if Ertz is ruled out. And that obviously hinders their offense quite a bit. Let's talk about the giant side of this and specifically Daniel Jones. I mean, last week he threw for 352 yards, five touchdown performance, Again, we speak about it each and every week. Daniel Jones is on the field, and that was actually his return to the lineup after multiple weeks, I think with a high ankle sprain or just an ankle sprain, um, that he has these peaks and valleys. And there were a lot of peaks last week against the Redskins in terms of throwing down the field vertically, in terms of making big-time throws. Yet there are other contests where he has multiple turnovers or multiple poor decisions. And I'm not saying he's on this Jameis Winston career path because we don't really know what the career path is for Daniel Jones at this moment. But I think you could draw an analogy of the two in that they might start off the game with a negative play, then bounce back in the next series with two or three throws that very few quarterbacks across the NFL might make. Um, So in some level, you hope for some consistency heading into year two for Daniel Jones. But for year one, to make some of the the big throws down the field to add mobility. Um, I think it's a really overall positive year for Jones. He's certainly not perfect and he's certainly not Kyler Murray in my opinion, but what he does bring to the table again is, is the ability to at times elevate the people around him. You just hope to limit the mistakes that he shows either decisions or holding on to the ball in the pocket too long, or just the inaccurate throws. In this particular matchup, it's interesting because I would say he fits in the Jared Goff mold, according to how he attacks pressure. Uh, when he is under pressure, he is very poor, but in this, in this game with, We'll have to wait and see on Darius Slayton's status. But with potentially Darius Slayton, uh, Sterling Shepard still running on the outside primarily with Golden Tate attacking from the slot, he clearly has the weapons to beat Ronald Darby and the rest of that Philly secondary if they can hold up and protect him from Timmy Jernigan and whoever else is on the other, whoever else is healthy on the other side of that ball. So yeah, in my opinion, 12 starts in, we're going to be 13 starts after this game. Uh, I, I still think he's Jameis Winston at this point. Um, hmm. The fumbling, like I said, is a is a huge issue, but it is still better than I thought we initially were getting once he was taken number six overall. It's a good point that you made that this might really come down to the Philadelphia corners. You know, they've all they're also a unit that's had peaks and some good moments and just a lot of valleys. And again, I want to read at this point that Daniel Jones is the type of player who just forgets about mistakes. He even had a series beforehand. And I think that's a really big positive and sure he can learn from them. And he probably does, but a lot of other young quarterbacks or quarterbacks with the amount of experience that he's had can shrivel up and not want to 
test down the field when they do make the mistakes, and, and he's not one of those. So I think that no matter what the scoreboard is, if they go by, down by seven or down by 10, I think Daniel Jones has the ability to lead them back from a deficit like that. And if he does, as we move along here, uh, that opens the door for the Cowboys to squeeze in as they are playing Washington. Now, the good news is, for the Cowboys anyways, Terry McLaurin and the concussion protocol still as of Thursday. Uh, Quentin Dunbar, PFF's number three corner overall on IR. So this is a situation primed to attack. But the bad news is the situation was there to attack against the Eagles last week as well. And Dak Prescott is clearly limited by this AC joint injury right now. Uh, He lacked zip on his ball against the Eagles, even to the naked eye. He missed Tavon Austin for a would-be 75-yard touchdown wide open. And also, in the second quarter, Michael Gallup had beaten Ronald Darby just clearly down the left sideline. And rather than hitting Gallup for a 79-yard touchdown, Dak wasn't able to throw the ball deep, and it was underthrown. Uh, Ronald Darby only had to backtrack, and then Gallup made an amazing catch that went for 41 yards instead, but only because of Gallup's talent. So we think that, yes, this is a game the Cowboys should walk over, but as we've learned with the Cowboys this season, absolutely nothing is guaranteed. It would only be fitting if both Philly lose and then Dallas loses also. Like just the disappointment level that the Cowboys have brought us this year. You know, like, and for weeks I've talked about how I want Dallas in the playoffs over the Eagles, just because, you know, their ceiling of potential and, and high level play is much higher, I think, than the Eagles bring. But right now I don't even believe that anymore, Daigle, because of just what this awful performance, this awful product that Dallas is bringing to the field each and every week. You know, so many of us from the outside looked at the matchup last week against the Eagles and said, okay, the offense is going to have to flow through someone like Miles Sanders because he is their only explosive element. They're going to screen to death this Cowboys defense. And guess what they did? Screen to death the Cowboys defense. So if we could see that from the outside, if multiple people could see that from the outside and the Cowboys didn't even realize that that's how they were going to approach this game, then that's a major issue. And that's just added to the list of the issues that the Cowboys have had this season. And I mean, right now, one, obviously they don't deserve to go to the playoffs. And two, it's just going to be an off season of change. Like a few weeks ago, I thought Amari Cooper would definitely be in this roster for the Cowboys in 2020. Now I'm not so sure with how that situation was handled. I don't know if either one of these teams are going to make noise in the playoffs at all. Yeah, it's going to be not just with the coaching staff, as you said, an off season full of changes. I still think Amari Cooper for better or worse, is on this roster. Uh, Dak Prescott obviously getting 30-plus million per year this offseason, no matter what happens in this game. Jason Garrett, uh, you know, if they win this game, I still have my doubts Jason Garrett's gone. Uh, I just think Jerry Jones is that – I truly believe he's that stubborn. Um, We'll see what happens, of course. But, yeah, Byron Jones also, like, that's the big one because everyone forgets that Byron Jones is a, a very good player when healthy and their number one corner. You take him off the this team and defensively, like, they've already paid their ends, right? But among their secondary, Jeff Heath, I guess, would probably be their best player. And he was, he's, been, he's a free agent. Uh, and that just is a testament more to how little they put into – 
putting money into their secondary as opposed to Jeff Heath being a tremendous player worth losing. They just they just don't care about the position for better or worse whatsoever. And so now if you're letting Byron Jones walk to pay all these other offensive pieces because you ignorantly handed Ezekiel Elliott that contract, then you're just kind of uh, stuck on a treadmill really, right? You're not going anywhere. You're just running in place. Let's move on to the other NFC game. That's the San Francisco 49ers at the Seattle Seahawks. This is a Sunday night football showdown. The winner, the winner of this game wins the NFC West. For the 49ers, a win would also make them the number one seed in the NFC. But a loss, again, would allow the Seahawks to be NFC West champions. And that means the 49ers would drop all the way to a fifth seed. I mean, that is just a drastic drop off for one of the best teams in the NFL that we've seen this year in the 49ers, that one game it comes down to them having home field advantage to then not having maybe a single playoff game, home playoff game throughout the playoffs. Um, there's a lot of dues here, Daigle, and so much of it is about Seattle. One, they're coming off that awful loss to Arizona last weekend where they were without Jadeveon Clowney, Quandre Diggs, Shaquille Griffin, Dwayne Brown. Now they're going to be without Chris Carson. So we're going to get Robert Turbin and Marshawn Lynch to go along with Travis Homer in that backfield. It adds a little sizzle to this dynamic, Daigle. We know, right, that even if it's the least efficient way to attack, this is still going to be a run-first offense in this particular game. And with those three options you mentioned, like what is even in the range of outcomes here? We know Marshawn Lynch. Uh, I was I was on the news feed on Wednesday, and they released a little report and videos about his workout regimen the past two weeks. Just because for some reason, like he figured he'd be coming back at least in his emergency option now for a couple of weeks for Seattle. He didn't expect to be thrusted though immediately into their starting lineup, and so he's been going through rigorous boxing training and basically just taking hits over and over again for eight hours a day uh, just to get prepared for this opportunity. Like it's crazy because a 75 yard touchdown run can happen in this one, Hmm. but also we haven't seen the guy since last year, whenever Daryl Bevel was his offensive coordinator with the Seahawks. So perhaps he does need a little more time to become familiar with their playbook, but given their emergency situation in that backfield, I really do think we see 12 to 15 carries from him. Do you really immediately 12 to 15 carries? So 12 to 15 would make him the lead ball carrier in that backfield. I mean, I know they wouldn't want to, I know there was a report that said that they want to lean on Travis Homer. That would kind of be difficult to believe. Like, why would you do that when you bring back, you know, two veterans that I guess don't necessarily know the system perfectly, but have experience obviously in Seattle. I mean, Marshawn's at least going to get eight touches in this game and the place is going to go crazy for him. Now, the issue with that Daigle is that the team might already be down by 10 points at the end of the first two drives that San Francisco has out in the field. Do you remember the last time these two teams played? Like it was a wild contest. I mean, San Francisco was up 10 nothing with like three minutes left in the first half. Then Jimmy Garoppolo had that fumble six. You also had that crazy DK Metcalf fumble near the goal line that the 49ers were able to get. Then you had Rashad Penny have a fumble, Jimmy Garoppolo with another fumble. Like it was a back and forth contest where both teams really won it in the air. And that's an issue I think that Brian Schottenheimer brings to the table consistently because that last week against the Arizona Cardinals should not have been a game where the Seahawks lose. I know they were undermanned. I think Schottenheimer and I have no like evidential backup for this statement. It's just something that occurs to me when watching these games. I think he struggles when facing a team a second time in one season. 
Like he doesn't bring enough wrinkles to the party, to the game that confuses the opposing defense. Cause I understand the Cardinals have Chandler Jones. They have a couple of other playmakers, but when you have Seattle who at least on paper have some of the best playmakers in the NFL and you can't consistently get the ball to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, like, you know, Kyle Shanahan can consistently get the ball to Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders and even Kendrick Bourne and George Kittle near the goal line. That's a major glaring flaw that I think Seattle carries with them now into the playoffs. And Seattle just lost uh, George Fant, their left tackle, for the rest of the season. But not only that, the offensive side of the ball, if this is a contest that is decided through the air, like you have to recall all of the Seahawks injuries they're going through right now. Quandry Diggs, their center field safety, who has been borderline elite since they traded for him from the Lions. Uh, you know, he's banged up. He's probably not going to play. Jadevian Clowney is never healthy. Michael Kendricks in the middle of their front seven is also banged up right now. So it's really an advantageous situation for the Niners who let's be frank are the better play calling offense anyhow this also has a trickle down effect for Green Bay and New Orleans Green Bay right now is the two seed and they clinch a first round bye with a win this weekend against Detroit Um, New Orleans who Daigle for months we've talked about as one of the better teams in the NFL I mean they won four games without Drew Brees this season they're loaded with talent despite some losses defensively now are really eyeing that three seed I mean they have to get some help some help to be anything more than the three seed and don't have a first round buy locked up it's kind of shocking when you consider our perception of the Saints compared to our perception of say the Packers the entire season, but that's what happens with the Packers victory last week against the Minnesota Vikings. What a weird situation for the Niners. Uh, they can get a first round bye with a win and a Packers loss. But remember the saints and Packers play at the same time. And at the time of this recording, the Packers are favored by 12 and a half wow. points over a Lions offense that is just struggling mightily to move the ball right now. So really what will likely happen is that New Orleans will go into that game with thoughts of getting the number two seed anyways if the Niners lose. But of course, they won't know if the Niners lose until Sunday right. night. So they have motivation, obviously, to win just in case the Packers do lose to the Lions. But at the same time, we saw Drew Brees pop up on the injury report suddenly with a knee injury. And reports are that after that game last week against the Titans, he was apparently struggling to get to the podium. It took him a long time anyways, which is what this injury stems from. And also, Michael Thomas downgraded midweek, hand injury limited on Wednesday, and then missed practice entirely on Thursday. So who knows what's going on there? We've known their offensive line has struggled with injuries the past month, that they're still waiting for Armstead and Pete to come back fully healthy. So it's just a weird situation, and, and I think Sean Payton is going to play all his guys anyhow, yeah. no matter no matter what their statuses are. But yeah, it's really one that spells the Packers winning, and then New Orleans, it doesn't matter what they do since they have to wait for a Niners loss anyhow. Yeah, I mean, that Saints team was even impressive last week. You talk about how banged up they were, but they scored something like, what, 32 points in 36 minutes in that game. On the road outdoors, I mean, it, too. It, it was a fantastic performance, and again, they need some help from the 49ers, from the Packers, and the form of losses for either one to move off that three seed. All right, let's move on over to the AFC. At the top, we have the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs right after the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are locked up in that one seed more or less. So let's look at the New England and 
Kansas City side of this. Obviously, New England clinches a first round bye with a win or a tie over the Miami Dolphins, which we somewhat expect. And Kansas City needs a win over the Chargers and a Patriots loss in order to claim that two seed. Anything on that, Daigle? Uh, Julian Edelman still just limited, right? Uh, just it's uh, just seventy one percent of their snaps last week. Sixty two percent, I believe, the week prior um, has been close in the past month to being scratched for games because he's limping at practice. Clearly banged up this late into the season. But again, you know they need to win to clinch that number two seed in the first round bye, and they need that first round bye right now. Their injury report is just constantly riddled with injuries at this point of the season. So they'll all be playing heavily to win. Yeah, it's pretty easy for us to say now that what the Patriots have shown over the last month or six weeks, that they're very fortunate to have the schedule that they had in the first month or two of the season with cupcake after cupcake, kind of not easy win after easy win, but convincing wins because they've been anything but convincing over the last three or four or so games. Um, Okay. Let's look at this Tennessee Titans versus Houston Texans matchup because this is major for the Titans. It's not so major possibly for Houston. If the Chiefs defeat the Chargers at one o'clock, the Texans are locked into the number four seed in the AFC. So by the time this game rolls around, Houston Texans might not have anything to play for. Maybe we see a little bit of A.J. McCarron, but that would be opposite to what Bill O'Brien has said, that he is going to play his players to want to win this game. Daigle, I'll believe it when I see it. There is max motivation for the Chiefs at noon because if they win and the Pats lose, and the Pats are favored by 16, right? But if the Pats lose to the Dolphins, we've seen crazier things, then the Chiefs can lock themselves into the number two seed in a first-round bye. But as you mentioned, the Texans play at 425. So if you thought arbitrarily competing for the number three and number four seed was ignorant. Just wait until 425. If the Chiefs win, then the Texans literally can't even jostle their own seeding and are going into wildcard weekend with a home field game no matter what. And we mentioned the Saints injuries. I would argue no one needs a buy more, and they're not going to get a buy, but they could use this week as a rest period, the Texans, and I don't think anyone needs it more right now. Deshaun Watson, limited last week and battling back and ankle injuries midweek this time around before this game. Kenny Steele's hamstring injury, limited at practice. Will Fuller isn't going to play, but we know he's going through a groin injury, which is just in perpetuity, in perpetuity, right? He's always battling some kind of soft tissue injury. Uh, offensive line banged up, secondary banged up. Just the Texans need a week where they're going to rest. And, you know, I'll believe it when I see it because they, they need to rest. But as you said, Bill O'Brien is claiming, even arbitrarily, he's going to play their starters. And there just seems like nothing would be dumber in Week 17 than to roll these guys out for a meaningless contest. Just on paper, Looking at the Houston Texans, obviously they won last weekend and Tennessee lost last weekend to the Northern Saints. But I feel much better about the Titans right now than I do the Texans. Like even in that victory, did not feel good about the Texans because of that Will Fuller injury and how everything kind of crumbles when all that happens. Meanwhile, the Titans, despite losing to the Saints, um, I thought shorthanded without Derrick Henry that their strengths showed up. Their identity showed up. Um, and even with A.J. Brown, you know, not catching a pass, it seemed like until the third or fourth quarter, he had that long run, but not catch a pass. This is a team I really believe in. And we've, we're here, Daigle. You know, this is a team that I've wanted to make the playoffs just from an entertainment level. And the Titans can do that with a victory. 
But there are, are some trickle-down effects here if they don't. If they lose and the Steelers win, the Steelers are in. And then there's this whole entire convoluted system with potentially the Raiders still involved, which would be an absolute nightmare for all NFL fans across the country. There are two ways to approach Sunday, and that is cheering for the Titans to win because that would be the most entertaining way to watch the playoffs or cheering for the Raiders to win because that'd be just wanting to watch the world burn. Uh, the Steelers, of course, James Conner isn't practicing. He's not going to play. Judas Smith-Schuster was removed from the injury report altogether. The thing is, Devlin Hodges was benched last game after throwing two picks. Mason Rudolph came in, and then he got injured. He's on IR and done for the year now, so they have no choice but to go back to Hodges and keep Paxton Lynch as an emergency option behind him. So, even though Juju's on the field healthy right now, it doesn't matter. Hodges is struggling to support one of their receivers, let alone Juju, James Washington, Deontay Johnson, who's been explosive. So the Steelers can get by with their defense against the Ravens' backups, but it, this is still a situation we are rooting for uh, Derrick Henry, who's practicing in full, and this Ryan Hill, Tannehill story to continue because despite the fact the Titans have secondary issues, they are still clearly the more fun team to yeah. watch. And the Raiders, you mentioned them sneaking in. Like, let's just walk through this scenario with me because I'll stop and let you answer each one, and you just let me know, like, <laughs> is this possible? So the Raiders have to beat Drew Locke and the Broncos. Possible. Possible. Feasible, right? yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, the Titans have to lose to the Texans. I, I certainly hope not. I will be sad. <laughs> I think that's the toughest one, but uh, Pittsburgh lose to Ravens and what is likely going to be their backups. Yeah. So a comment on this because, you know, there are only 53 people on an NFL roster. So when, you know, across the NFL, people refer to backups across the league. That's different when there's like a 90 man roster during the third or fourth preseason game. Like you're going to still have to play some of your starters if you're the Baltimore Ravens. You know, it's not like a too deep. So I, I don't think we see every single backup on the field for the Ravens. You can't do that, especially across the offensive line. So I still think the Ravens have the potential to steal a victory away from the Steelers who even them aren't working at full strength. And that's why I said I think the Titans losing to the Texans is the hardest one for the Raiders to uh, hypothetically accomplish themselves because I'll take the Ravens play calling with backup players any day over the Steelers. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and the final one, by the way, the Colts beat the Jaguars, which as we know is possible because the Jaguars have been the worst team in the AFC for like a month and a half now. So let's run through right now what that wild card weekend would look like if everything sits how it does right now. So if the Titans do win against the Texans, then they right now would face the Chiefs, who are the three seed. The Bills and Texans would face each other as the four and five seed. Meanwhile, Saturday on, at 1 p.m. <laughs> meanwhile, on the NFC side, uh, the Vikings, who are the sixth seed, uh, will, would face the Saints. And then the Seahawks and the Eagles would match up if the Eagles are obviously victorious. And if not, then the Cowboys would face off against the Seahawks. That, that'd be a fun weekend. I mean, anything, I, both those, all four of those matchups to me are intriguing and we could potentially see some upsets across the board. I know. I think it's, you know, week 17. I'm excited. There's still DFS contest to play. There are still, for some ungodly known reason, week 17 fantasy championships being decided. So if that's you, one, change your league rules and two, good luck. There it is. Um, we will be back next week in studio. Just me and Daigle. I'm not sure if we get Ian on the phone, um, but that will be next Tuesday. We may have lost him over the holidays. We may have Who lost him over the at. holidays. 
Um, he might walk back from Ohio. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> so we, we will be back in studio next Tuesday and then obviously preview the first round of the playoffs next Thursday as well. So everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.